welcome to the Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton. Data and the use of data are often discussed topics in sports and sports business. When sports fans think about the use of data, it conjures up thoughts of player performance and analytics, which is certainly a present use of data, but that usage and its relevance extends far beyond traditional player metrics. Our guest today, Michael Newman, is someone who's mastered the use of data to create tangible and measurable results. Michael is the co-head of PlayFi Sports Consulting, a sports media, marketing, and technology business centered around the team, league, brand, and network. Before his newest venture, Michael was the managing partner of Scout Sports and Entertainment, a division of Horizon Media. Prior to joining Horizon, he was the co-founder and president of Amplify Sports and Entertainment, a marketing consulting agency created to help brands harness the power of strategic sponsorships and maximize the impact of the athlete and celebrity-driven campaigns. Prior to launching Amplify, Michael was the senior vice president and group account director with Strategic, where he provided strategic consulting services for sports and entertainment partnerships. Michael previously held senior positions with Paragon Marketing Group, Arnold Communications, and Global Television Sports. Michael has contributed to publications including Adweek, Brandweek, Sports Business Journal, and the Sports Business Daily, and his work has been recognized by major awards programs including Promo 100, Promo Top Shops, the Bill Beck Sports Sponsorship Award, and the Big Apple PR Awards. Michael is an adjunct professor at Columbia University where he leads courses in sports sponsorship and sales. He was previously an adjunct professor of sports marketing and corporate sponsorship in the undergraduate sports management program at the Tisch Center for Hospitality, Tourism, and Sports Management at New York University. Michael is such a fascinating person with such a wide breadth of experience, and we're honored to have him as a guest. So we hope you all enjoy Adam's conversation with Michael Newman. Revenue Above Replacement Podcast for Northwestern Masters in Sports Administration Program. I am your host, Adam Grossman. With us today is Michael Newman. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate you inviting me on your podcast today. Yeah, we're really happy to have you here. We're looking forward to a great conversation. We start the conversation the way we start all our conversations, which is, can you give our audience a little bit of your uh, background and how you got to this point in your career today? Sure, sure. Happy to. Uh, So in high school, I I turned down a couple of D1 lacrosse opportunities to attend the University of Pittsburgh on scholarship with plans to become an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, Halfway through college, I pivoted away from that. And I was very fortunate to intern for the National Hockey League my senior year during the All-Star Game in Pittsburgh. Um, My responsibility was to drive the van for the New York Islanders, which meant that I was responsible for picking up and dropping off the players and the coaches, the owners um, all weekend. So doing a lot of airport runs, getting them to practices, dinners and and different events. Um, I grew up in Long Island. So I grew up in the heyday. The Islanders won four cups. They were in a fifth. Um, So being around my idols was absolute nirvana. Um, I used that experience uh, unknowingly to really understand the framework of sports as a business and all the pieces that went into producing a marquee event. Um, I networked, I made a lot of contacts from that weekend and upon graduation, I started tapping all of them. Uh, and I was very fortunate. I immediately found a job in sports when I graduated, 
Uh, and I would have to say that that weekend in Pittsburgh was really the catalyst for my career launch into sports. Um, I chose a job with a little known agency in Philadelphia called Global Sports. I moved to Philadelphia uh, and I was hired as an event manager for a little known three on three basketball tournament called Hoop It Up. And at that time, Global Sports had the national television rights to produce the Hoop It Up championships on ESPN. And with those media rights, they also had the event management rights to bring Hoop It Up into other large regional markets in the New York, uh, tri-state, mid-Atlantic area. So Baltimore, Philly and, and, and New York. Um, and then eventually Washington, D.C. So given Global's background in TV sports production, um, we also maintained the local rights. Um, so we created live shows at the Hoop It Up events uh, on, on Sunday. Um, and it was, it was just the most incredible experience you can have as a young professional working in sports. I had five main responsibilities. One was uh, venue procurement, so trying to identify the right venues to host. Uh, we had to set up 50 to 100 courts. That's a lot. Um, I had to identify media partners, also manage sponsorship sales and put packages together. Uh, I had to produce the whole event, so I had to manage uh, a large staff as well as we also had to understand how to produce a live TV event while this big event was happening at the same time. So this was my first six years out of college. Um, it also included uh, a large uh, grassroots beach volleyball series uh, called Volleyball Blast. Uh, this was also executed locally in, in many uh, mid-Atlantic northeastern markets. Um, and in addition to that, I did a ton of brand experiential tours and a lot more TV sports production. So um, I wore a lot of hats, uh, which is a, a lesson, in, in my opinion, for anyone that comes to me and asks me, you know, what are key things that I should be thinking about when I'm in college and I'm gaining internship experience and I'm a young professional working on my first job is I tell people wear as many hats as possible. Um, my second job turned, turned out to be extremely pivotal in my career. Um, I had worked kind of in between like the, the events and the sponsors um, and I sold sponsorships. But I didn't really understand what drove the, the sponsorship decision process. So one of the one of the brands that I'd sold the sponsorship to was McDonald's. And I'd gotten really close with them. And I was offered a position to move uh, from Philadelphia back to New York, where I was from, and become the VP of uh, sports marketing for the New York Tri-State Co-op. Uh, so basically the owner operators that make up the co-op that uh, decide on how their local budgets are spent. And it was a newly created position to manage all their sponsorships and their talent deals. And it really was the perfect next position for me because it put me on the brand side and it allowed me to really understand how and why uh, sports could be leveraged to drive impact business and relevancy for brands. And this was on a local level. So it was really good to start from the ground up. Um, my focus was to bring a sense of like, continuity and consistency to each sponsorship deal that I was responsible for, reset strategies on deals that were executed and agreed to before my arrival, and activate all the deals, right? We had to impact store traffic. We had to drive transactions. And then we also had to find ways to raise money for Ronald, Ronald McDonald Children's Charities. And the same for our talent deals. We had talent deals with 
Patrick Ewing and Wayne Gretzky and Brian Leach and Sean Bradley. And, you know, one of the things I also tell people is the importance of building relationships, right? So I use the relationships from that weekend in Pittsburgh to get my first job relationships from some of these deals, like my deal negotiating with Patrick Ewing was with David Falk, who's still someone that I, I speak with. Um, negotiating the Brian Leach deal was with Michael Levine, who's now running CAA Sports. So relationships are, are critically important. I'll, I'll, you know, I talk about that all the time when I'm asked for insights and advice on, on career recommendations. Um, so this was... Um, this is a perfect blend of, of agency life, understanding the balance between national and local promotional windows, and then encouraging my, my clients, which are the owner operators who make up the local co-op, uh, to, to have them think more about sports as a way to drive their business. Uh, and I could not think of a better first really decade for me between the six years at Global and then the three years uh, that I, I worked here. Um, but what really stood out for me these first this first decade and these three years in particular was the relationship I had with my boss and how much he invested in me, which was very similar to my first boss and mentor uh, at Global Sports, a guy named Doug Verb, who hired me. Um, both the environments that I worked in were extremely complex, and in some cases, they were political. And each were able to give me just enough balance between guidance and autonomy to figure things out on my own. And from there, the next major decision in my career was um, working with a Chicago-based sports marketing agency called Halo Sports, uh, which is now known today as Paragon Marketing Group. And my role was to help Paragon expand their consulting practice and open up the New York market with their main headquarters still being in Chicago. So for the four years that we worked together, um, we gave, I gave uh, Paragon a presence in New York. Um, I also led our efforts to become a leading consultancy in the pharma space, which was a result of the changing direct-to-consumer laws, which saw sports become a place that pharma brands wanted to be active in. There were a flurry of large league deals with different pharma companies in the 2000s, um, and that just kind of trickled down into other areas of sports. And then another early entry environment that I spent a lot of time with in the early 2000s was in the streaming space um, and learning how to, to monetize content partnerships via the creation of hybrid events that could be extended into the digital realm. So creating more scale and allowing brands to have a larger reach to targeted audiences. So early on, we had a partnership with SFX and SFX allowed us to take their relationships with artists and intimate moments, uh, events with artists like Britney Spears and NSYNC and bring those exclusive moments, that content right into the homes of impressionable teens and queens, which is still a coveted audience for brands today. And so those four years, what I learned most is that working in new categories and categories open up, open up like pharma and streaming, taught me the value of being an early mover in the changing landscape of new category entry, different types of marketing tactics, as well as uh, technology. Um, from there, I moved into um, being the ultimate entrepreneur. I launched my own agency in 2006 called Amplify Sports and Entertainment. 
And I partnered with a corporate communications agency that lived inside media holding company, IPG. And we had a substantial amount of early success and we saw significant growth with blue chip brands, um, helping brands like Samsung launch their NFL partnership, uh, working with uh, a Utah-based nutraceutical beverage called Zango to um, sign the first uh, MLS kit sponsorship in North America history. So negotiated that deal uh, with Dave Checkets and his team. So this is the first this is the first kit deal in the history of sports in North America in any major sport. So Zango was the first brand to be across a major league soccer jersey back in 2006. Um, also worked with brands like Nikon. Um, did a lot of memorable work with them in the New York Mets as they were winding down um, their transgenerational venue, Shea Stadium, um, using the equity of Nikon and really focusing on special moments and imagery. Um, one of the bigger programs that that agency did uh, was, a, was a large program for a company called Medco around the Beijing Olympics in 2008, um, working with uh, Olympians and icons uh, such as Greg Luganis and Mark Spitz and Jackie Joyner-Kersey and, and Bruce Jenner and, and, and so many others. Um, so after doing that for about four and a half years, um, what I realized was there, there was this changing landscape uh, and a couple of things were happening. Uh, accountability, measurement, data, all that was becoming more and more important. And the, the internet was going through like their own 2.0 version. Um, and the internet and digital and mobile and social was going to become a really big part of the consumer and fan experience. Uh, and at that time, a lot of those assets were still kind of packaged in as added value. Um, but we could really see the writing on the wall. And, and I thought uh, that I needed to have greater resources in order to kind of execute the vision that I had on the type of agency that I wanted to, to, to lead and the type of agency that I, I wanted to have for my clients. Um, so in 2010, I was uh, tapped to launch uh, Scout Sports and Entertainment uh, and give, at the time, uh, independent media agency, Horizon Media, a dedicated in-house sports practice. Uh, eventually, Scout became the only media agency to have a wholly owned full service agency in-house as the, the way media agencies worked with, um, or the way the holding companies worked with their sports practices, we were the only one that was full service uh, and inside the main uh, entity. So we had three business focuses when we launched Scout. Um, one was to install Scout into all the media RFPs that came in from brands that were interested in working with Horizon who also played big in sports. Uh, prior to Scout's creation, uh, there wasn't, uh, there was no veteran leadership at Horizon Media that could help focus on uh, sports strategy for blue chip brands. Um, the second area was that we wanted to uh, grow existing uh, Horizon client revenue to those clients or those brands who wanted to go deeper in sports. Um, that were already a client of Horizon, uh, but weren't doing so because the veteran leadership with, within Horizon didn't exist at the time. And then the third area that was a focus for us was to build a portfolio of new clients who would select scouts as their sports marketing AOR or for specific projects, regardless of 
uh, where they had their media buying and, and, and planning placed. Um, and it was, uh, it was an incredible experience uh, focused on, you know, when I think back on the 12 and a half years there, I, I think about the people. Um, I think about the, the recognition of Scout as, uh, as a top tier sports marketing agency, having the opportunity to work with blue chip brands like Geico and Honda, FanDuel, Buffalo Wild Wings, Corona, Anheuser-Busch, and, and so many more. Um, McDonald's, Burger King also come to mind. Um, but we were right in the mix on most of the largest deals that were happening you know, throughout you know, those 12 years, managing about 250 deals a year, looking at three to 350 deals a year, everything encompassing league deals, naming rights, uh, huge talent deals. Um, I'm so proud of the, the work that we did to create a very deep and robust measurement and analytics offering. I think really one of the best, if not the best in the industry, tapping into the resources at Horizon Media, coming up with proprietary tools, uh, different data points, um, really providing our clients with what we used to call this surround sound approach uh, to insights not really found anywhere else or it would require multiple uh, external agencies to bring everything together. Um, we, we took a lot of the, the work that we did with our brands uh, and we reverse engineered that for the purpose of you know, building um, stronger IP uh, and better valuation for our sports our IP clients, whether it's media, team or league properties such as Major League Baseball, ESPN, FC, Barcelona, Carolina Panthers, uh, events like the Preakness, uh, monumental sports, helping them on their, their naming rights deal with Capital One. Um, so, so a lot of those things come to mind pretty quickly. Um, and then the thing that I really love the most as a, as a founder and a business leader was looking back and seeing how we really launched uh, or established the the sports marketing careers, the sports business careers of so many amazing people, which really has been one of the most rewarding aspects of my time with Scout to coincide with the recognition, the awards, the people, the work, and the culture that had been recognized for so many years. There's a lot there. And again, we're going to try to cover as much of it as we can, but as, okay. as I always this is not just me, but a lot of people like that. We want to start from the beginning because the beginning of the story is definitely very interesting. Particularly, you mentioned your focus on relationships and building relationships. So I thought that sports is definitely a relationship-driven industry. But you're you you established early on that you wanted to build relationships and build networks, even as a college student. And I think that's one of the hardest things when you're younger is to build a network. So can you talk more about how a how you decided that was the way you wanted to go, and b how you were able to build a strong network, even while you're in college, so that you could launch your career in sports. Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think I think two things kind of collided at the same time for me in college. The first thing was I think the type of person that I am, uh, being an extro extrovert, um, realizing that relationships matter. I recognize that as an at an early age, just you know, growing up, um, and it went beyond just being a good teammate and playing sports and being respectful to you know your your coaches. Um, I, for some reason, always understood the importance of benefiting from a very wide. Uh, network. I mean, it could be as simple as being a high school student, going to another party 
in another town and knowing a couple of people just to make sure that your experiences was a little bit better because it, it, you could run into a situation where you go to another party in another town and you're there with a bunch of buddies who play on the football team and the football players and the other team kind of get upset that here come three guys from another school and then you got a problem. And I always found a way just to feel like I belonged and it was always done through respect and just knowing people where I, where I traveled. Um, the other thing that was colliding for me uh, in, in January of 1990, when the all-star all-star game came into Pittsburgh was I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So up until that point, my struggles, my senior year, it wasn't, it wasn't a lack of confidence that I couldn't succeed at whatever it was I decided to do. I just didn't know what I was going to do because my whole life I was fixated on being an orthopedic surgeon. I mean, I gave up D1 lacrosse opportunities to go to University of Pittsburgh on scholarship and actually apprentice under, under someone who was pioneering the way universities and schools looked at sports, sports marketing, I'm, I'm sorry, sports medicine. Um, so, so when I realized when that light bulb went off my freshman year, I'm sorry, my senior year, um, I, I, I worked as hard as I could that weekend and there was no cell phones and there was nothing that exists today. So I worked as hard as I could to collect as many names and phone numbers of the people that I met in order to be able to reach out to them uh, sometime between the end of that weekend and graduation. And even went so far as to say, would it be okay if I reached out to you in a couple of months as I start to think about my post-graduation plans? Uh, and and I and I remember this like it was yesterday. You know, people within the Islanders organization, right up to Bill Torrey, the general manager, the the, the late general manager who was the architect of those incredible teams, uh, also helping me because of how hard I worked over the weekend to make sure that his experience and the experience of his players was nothing less than exceptional, seamless, and easy. You've mentioned, obviously, you've mentioned this twice about being an orthopedic surgeon or trying to pursue that. Obviously, orthopedic surgeon or being a surgeon or hard work, you just mentioned that. Do you think your background or your desire to go into orthopedic surgery influenced your career in the sports industry? Or is there any crossover that you see as like a kind of a catalyst for your success? It's a great question. I, I know that I get immense satisfaction when I work with athletes and celebrities around biotech and pharma programs where where the efficacy of the medication or the medicine has impacted and changed their lives for the better. Like when they're ambassadors for campaigns and they're endorsing uh, prescription drugs or treatment, um, there's a different level of emphasis on the role that that product plays in their lives versus an NBA player endorsing a sneaker, right? It's way more authentic. And so I think once I got the bug to work in that space and because I cared so much about healthcare and wanting to be a doctor, I probably get more uh, gratification putting those types of deals together because one, it's also hard. It's also difficult. Like one of the one of the ones we did at Scout before before I, I left um, was uh, a prostate cancer educational campaign 
Uh, so it's an awareness campaign that requires education and action. Uh, and we did that by identifying and we needed to focus on uh, boomer black male communities in the South. And so to find uh, an athlete or a celebrity that is compelling, relevant and appealing to that to that community requires a tremendous amount of of work uh, and search uh, and and Q&A and finally finding somebody like Grant Hill, who has a lot of equity right now in the in the south of Georgia and the Atlanta market where he's where he's a part owner of the Hawks. Um, and the role that that prostate cancer has has impacted his life, that becomes a very gratifying experience for me uh, because I know not only am I responding to the needs of a client, but I'm also putting a, a, a human in a position to also help. And it goes beyond how much they're compensated. But to to go a little bit deeper on your question, I think that when I decided that I wanted to become an orthopedic surgeon, I was around 10 or 12. I was I was a very proficient young athlete at times that that are nothing like today. Right. There was nothing like like my son is turning 19 and he grew up playing AAU and he grew up playing travel baseball. None of that was available when I was growing up. But like most athletes that play a ton and 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 have a lot of you know, rep- repetition of, of, of movement and exercise, there were injuries and there were broken bones and there were dislocations and there were other things. And I remember each and every time that I would go to the hospital and I did build a relationship with certain doctors because they saw me so frequently, I was amazed in their ability for them to identify my problem, fix it and get me back on the field. And I love the fact that they were helping people and I wanted to do that. So in order to do that, Going to medical school is very competitive. So I took a very meticulous approach to how I wanted to go to medical school. I looked at schools that took a high percentage of their undergrads into their graduate programs. I wanted to be in orthopedics. So I looked at sports medicine programs. And University of Pittsburgh had this pioneering young young uh, doctor who was getting national recognition for some of the things that he he was doing. And I wanted to apprentice under him. And I knew that I needed to stand out in my application. And even with all my all my extracurricular responsibilities in high school, my junior and senior year and playing competitive sports, I still found time to work in hospitals and volunteer my time and try to understand the role of the hospital and the healthcare system. And 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 I also won a lot of community service awards as a result of that. So I think I take that long term meticulous approach. What I tell people all the time is, is I like to play chess and not checkers. And so I'm always thinking two, three, five steps ahead. And I did that with my, with with the goal in mind that I was going to be the best orthopedic surgeon. I was going to work with this one individual who was a mainstay in the Pittsburgh community for decades. He recently passed away and I now apply that same approach to building relationships, uh, both with my clients, uh, building brand equity for the organizations that I'm responsible for leading and building relationships with the people that I get to collaborate with every day. Build into my next question, which is kind of what you're saying, what you're saying, thinking three to five steps ahead. That seemed to be a consistent theme in your career, regardless of which type of role you were in. 
why it sounds like your orthopedic surgeon background partially played into that, but why is that so attractive to you looking for the next thing, looking for the new thing? And how has that impacted your uh, career journey as well in terms of pursuing what's next or what's new? Well, listen, what's the old saying? If anything doesn't move forward, it dies, right? So the, the marketplace today moves a lot faster than it ever has. Technology, AI is something new that's moving pretty quickly right now. Um, I, I've always admired business leaders who have the capacity to peer around the corner, see what's next, and then quickly maneuver in a way that those resources are available um, so, so clients can come to rely very quickly on our ability to service them in that area. I mean, that was the launch of Scout at Horizon Media. Um, and, and I think if you talk to my old boss, Bill Koningsberg, at Horizon, he would probably have said, you know, we should have launched an entity like Scout sooner. Um, but it, his idea to launch Scout coincided at the time with my need to be able to provide greater level of resources to clients as their own demands were changing. Uh, and I think I think that's exactly what was happening around the 2000 and time period. So, you know, as I look towards my next endeavor, um, I recognized in the months leading up to the decision I made to, to start my next endeavor that the world had changed and there were things that were more important to me today than they were just a year ago. And when I put my my checklist together of, of what was critically important and what was needed in order for me as a business person to be able to optimize an environment and then deliver the ultimate experience to a brand client or other clients, um, it, it was critically important that I think one, three, and five years down the road. And I, and I think that um, it, 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 it's really the most important aspect of being a business leader today, because it's not just the needs of your client, it's also the needs of your employees. And what I've learned over the last uh, five years, especially, uh, well, a good portion of that being in COVID, is that there's been a pretty sizable reset and what's important to people, right? So if you think about the office as the ultimate water cooler, that has now changed, probably changed forever. And the uh, the needs that employees have, there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all approach. We as business leaders today, it's impossible for us to really, you know, roll out a strategy where we think it's going to work for everyone. It requires a lot more intimacy in our relationships, empathy, compassion, understanding. It, I mean, look, it makes our jobs a lot harder, but the results are even more satisfying and gratifying when um, we see that we have the capacity to understand people and meet them at their own level. Yeah, and I, I want to get back into people in a little bit, but before we do that, you mentioned that you're thinking about your new venture. But before, obviously, a new venture, we wanted to. One of the questions we had discussed offline is, you know, talking about your most rewarding professional experience to date. You've had a long career working with on the sell side with property, yeah. properties. You've worked directly with brands. You've worked in the middle, so to speak, with agencies. You've started your own thing. So, what would you say is your most rewarding professional experience to date? Yeah, I mean, I think two things come to mind. The, the, the first 
from a very micro or acute perspective. I think we did something in sports a couple of years ago that uh, really broke a barrier when we had uh, the Burger King walk with Floyd Mayweather from the dressing room to the boxing ring before the Manny Pacquiao fight. Um, we executed that to perfection. We had very specific goals and objectives, and we did something that had never been done before. There was no sponsorship. There was no media buy. We we bought the real estate adjacent to an icon at a sports moment that transitioned to a pop culture moment uh, at a time that anticipation uh, in that fight was its highest. Uh, and research and data told us that, uh, which was the 90 seconds walk from the dressing room to the boxing ring, uh, what music would be played, which celebrities would join that walk. And if we could, if we can instill an iconic brand mascot into that picture, into that frame, uh, and then accompany that with a very strategic Corpcom strategy, uh, and then work very closely with all the IP rights holders, we could create something that had never been done before. Uh, and a lot of very smart people uh, worked on that uh, with me. Uh, and that was a, a very uh, rewarding experience, taught us a lot. And there's been some copycat efforts in, in, in sports since. Um, but I think from a, a macro perspective, and you mentioned a lot of things that I did, it has to be scout. Um, the, 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 the trust that was put in me, the launch and the growth of scout putting putting Horizon Media on the sports map, uh, building a nationally recognized agency as one of the best in the business, um, executing some of the most creative and innovative work around sponsorship and talent activation, uh, the awards, uh, every major marketing and business award we attained, uh, the recognition that our people had culture, uh, being recognized as best employer in sports, uh, the first four years that front office sports uh, put that award out there. Uh, there's only three companies that have won that award four times. Uh, we're the only sports marketing agency that won that award the first four years. Um, and that's a real testament to the great leadership that we've had over the years um, at Scout. Um, also, my time there creating multimedia sports properties uh, that also did a lot of good for communities, raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for important causes. Uh, but for me, it's it's this. It comes down to um, I had such respect for our cl our clients and our partners. Many of them have become such tremendous friends and important people in my life. Um, I had a chance to work with some of the greatest people in the in the industry, um, and and also so many talented people inside the Horizon Media system, which is exactly why Scout was launched in the first place. But my last comment here is probably the friendships that were established while I had the opportunity and the honor to lead Scout. They're gonna last a lifetime, um, but also it's a lifetime of learning that I took because I learned something from everyone. And I always told people, never be shy. Have a, you have a voice, right? Focus on what you want to do. Tell me how you feel, be yourself, and you'll be surprised how much I learned from you. And I can take all that into this new endeavor.
Uh, I, I know I keep saying we're going to get back to people. I promise we're going to get back to the people, particularly as we get towards the end of the episode. But obviously, a shared passion of ours is measurement and research and analysis. And you mentioned, obviously, that Scout had become one of the leading experts in measurement and from a sports sponsorship perspective. One, can you say why you thought that was important as a component of Scout as a full service agency? And two, how you've seen the measurement space maybe evolve? in the past 12 years, if you've seen any kind of significant or substantial evolutions that you can uh, touch on now? Yeah, sure. So I, I, I used to tell this story a lot enough that the colleagues I've had over the years um, repeat it uh, sometimes with me and sometimes in, in, other, in other meetings, but it always gets back to me. So going back to my days at Arnold, when I worked at McDonald's, I started in September of 1996 and McDonald's Local McDonald's had the responsibility for the January 6th through January 18th, 17th promotional window in, in 1997. So just a couple of months later. And in order for us to be on air with that promotion, we had to get the co-op to buy into it in early December. And then we had to start producing the commercial and the marketing materials. And I came up with a burger challenge um, between the Big Mac and one of the new products, the Crispy Chicken Deluxe. And my idea was let's have Patrick Ewing, who's the old established um, center in New York. Let's have him represent the Big Mac. And then Sean Bradley, who had just been traded to the Nets, he's the center on the other side, uh, the other team. Uh, he's the newer person in the market. The Crispy Chicken is the newer sandwich on the, on the menu. Let's have Sean rep represent uh, that sandwich. And so we we had a, a contest in New York um, and we challenged uh, quick service restaurant uh, customers to go out and buy their favorite sandwich. Um, and then we got the Knicks and the Nets involved. We did great activation there. So it basically became like a New York versus New Jersey thing. So what was my job other than coming up with that concept? I had to sell this in. So I, I get up in front of 250 really smart owner operators that combined own the 650 and change McDonald locations in the New York tri-state area. And it's my first time in front of everyone. I'm very nervous. I'm 28 years old. And I get up there and I start talking about marketing and amplification and top spin and communication and conversation and all these things that are totally important for brands and completely relevant and all aspirational. And I could see their faces. I wasn't connecting with anyone. So if we didn't get that vote, we don't have a campaign. So uh, we break for lunch. And one of the owner operators who's on the board comes over, he puts his arm around me and he says to me, Michael, I love this idea. This is the most creative thing we've ever, ever considered. And that's why you were hired. I was like, great. He goes, but let me ask you a question. Is the campaign going to drive sales? I said, of course it is. It's going to drive 11% sales over the promotional period. He says, okay. He's like, that's all you need to say. I said, what do you mean? He goes, when you get back up there after lunch and you get to the vote, just tell everyone that this is going to sell a ton of hamburgers. 
That's all they want to know. That's it. So I had my lunch. I was freaking out that we weren't going to get the vote. My my boss came over to me. He validated what the board member said. I got back up there. I reframed my sales pitch and I focused on what was important to them. And that was selling hamburgers. Okay. So that was almost 30 years ago. And ever since that moment, I've been fixated on storytelling around impact. And so measurement has always been the tool that I tinker with at every agency. And it really was the backdrop to form Scout because when I arrived, I sat down with all the different media buyers and I shared with them my own version or my own algorithms of how I measure the impact of sponsorship as it related to media, non-media assets. And the, the most remarkable thing that happened in those meetings was it was like two languages that were communicating to each other, but we eventually got to the same place. And I remember my colleagues saying, yeah, I would pretty much sign off on a valuation that looks like this, even though we got there even though we got there differently. So, um, so, uh, so the focus of data uh, has been a huge, at least for me, it's been a huge part of how I make my, um, how I make my decisions. So there's almost like a, there's a journey. So if I'm representing brands, the data needs to tell me who my audience is. And then this allows me to identify within the landscape of sports properties that I'm looking at, which ones align the best. And then once we acquire that IP through a negotiation, once that sponsorship is secured, then the data informs us um, what makes fans tick. So think about psychographics. This data allows us to better customize activation strategies. This is extremely important because if you think about how media strategies today can be uh, micro-based or tribal-based, um, we have to do the same thing in sports. We have to look at activation to different segments of the fan base. We're going to have to start thinking more, uh, more strategically and, and differently about how we can maneuver activation strategies just so we're speaking a little bit differently to different audiences. Sports brings everyone together, but we still have these micro tribal communities which it, within a, a large sports fan base. And then when we think about the role of data beyond activation, for us, data focuses on things like impact, uh, engagement, uh, brand sentiment, uh, how the work we do, how does that change consumer and fan behavior? And then overall, how does that enhance the business? Um, you know, some of the great things we did at Scout is we, we understood through trial and error uh, and creativity and, and a lot of analysis, we understand which, which levers of activation work better, which ones are more impactful, uh, which ones affect the purchase funnel. Um, so all these, all these areas, it was, it was hard Prior to Scout, it was hard to get all of this done under one roof. Um, and the one thing that is clearly apparent over the last 10 years, as I've, I've had a keen eye on all of our, all of our competitors, is the, the acquisition 
of, of data centers and measurement companies and, and analytical companies in order to give our competitors um, similar abilities to, to provide that type of uh, information back to their own clients. Yeah, I don't know if you're referring to Excel's acquisition of Practics Analytics, but yeah. that's a good. That's a uh, we could obviously have a, probably a separate podcast about that, and they will have to have you back on and talk probably a little bit more in detail about what you just brought up there. But no, that's that's a perfect example. I mean, there there was a time when Excel um, didn't have the capacity to do the things that they can right now, um, and had the opportunity, you know, to, to work with some of your colleagues on some properties because they knew that, you know, they were a stronger entity uh, partnering with us on a couple of things uh, because they knew that was important to the the client we were pitching. Exactly, and I, I think we should potentially talk about that on, on a separate episode. Or, we want to get to the last question, which again is about people. Again, like probably would be good to have you back on a, another episode pending your availability. But the last question we asked, which we asked all of our guests is a lot of our audience is either people who are trying to enter the sports industry or trying to progress in the sports industry or have an interest in working in sports. Um, and from your perspective, what were you looking for when you were hiring people either at your um, previous entities or your new venture? And how did that fold into that overall people strategy that uh, you've been talking about, right? Why why do you think that has been so successful? Why people, you know, like the network that you've built, the platforms that you've given people, the people have gone on to other things. Why do you think that has been something you've been able to achieve? And how would you, how does that meld into your overall hiring strategy? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, when, when you, when you're running an organization and your organization is is small at the beginning, I was personally involved. I I believe that the the organization is good as its people. And then as we started to grow, it was really a great feeling to empower others in the organization to take your place in that process. Um, and and hope keep your fingers crossed that the that the the mission that we have as an organization, the mantras that we establish, the ethos that we create is carried through. And as I as as our organizations got bigger, I found myself um, not so much interviewing people um, for the necessary skill set, but just seeing if they could. Um, uh, establish themselves in the culture that we had created and could they contribute to that culture, right? Because I think today's uh, young generation wants to um, not only take on responsibilities quickly, and, I, and they obviously want to move north in their career pretty quickly, but they have a lot to say. Um, so what happens a lot is um, they'll, they'll come to me and they'll ask me in those, in those meetings, you know, what do I need to do here to be successful? What advice do you have for me to not only be successful here, but to be successful in my career? Uh, and so what I do is I, I focus on uh, that early entry moment because I think that's where the best uh, habits are created and that's where you really can define yourself. So there's three focus areas that I ask people to consider. Uh, one uh, we we call it define your personal brand. Uh, two is the identification of a personal coach, and then the third one is the importance of your of your word. So going back to defining your personal brand, 
I was very fortunate. I had the opportunity to, to write a, a syllabus for a course that was taught at Horizon um, called Build Your Personal Brand. And we focused it on graduating college seniors and those who were new to the Horizon workforce. So I would say 21 to 24 years old. I've also used this same syllabus in the same course for graduate and undergraduate um, students that I both mentor uh, as well as high school students, as well as universities that I, that I speak at. So let me share the course description with you because I think it encapsulates the essence of the, of the course. Uh, and it's a two hour course and it's interactive. Uh, and I've, I've just, I've been so fortunate to hear such, such great feedback uh, from some, from students and from colleagues at Horizon over the years. So it goes something like this. In an age of self-expression, character and reputation matter more than ever. How we are seen by colleagues and bosses defines our standing in the business environments we work in. How we project ourselves in meetings and presentations and on social media impacts how our personal network views us. In a hyper-competitive world, establishing an esteemed brand reputation can be the single point of differentiation that can accelerate the trajectory of your career. So in this two-hour session that we have, we challenge everyone to think about the three things that they want people to think about them. You know, one of the quotes I use is Jeff Bezos says, you know, your reputation is what people say about you when you leave the room, right? So what, what I'm asking everyone to do is to think differently about the role of their own brand reputation and how they're seen and heard by their bosses and their colleagues and, and how important behavior is and, and how you react to, you know, these pivotal moments that happen in the office. Um, so that's the first thing that I, I talk a lot about to people that I hire and I ask them to pay close attention to. The other one I think is, is just as important and it's probably a little bit more challenging and that is to identify a personal coach, a mentor. You know, I think I said this earlier, the office, was always supposed to be where the magic happens. And most companies continue to maintain right now a hybrid in-office virtual work schedule, which means it's more important than ever to have an experienced leader take a genuine interest in your career. The best leaders that, that I know, the ones that are my peers, the ones that are my colleagues, the ones that I have a ton of respect for, it goes so far beyond the work that they've done, the deals they've negotiated, the, the growth of their agencies. It's really more about how they've influenced the lives and careers of their business teammates. And I've been very fortunate to be among a group of so many um, successful business executives in sports that are around my age that really understand this concept because we've all learned from each other and no more than during COVID. Um, but I think it's critically important that if you're not in the office five days a week and you're not interacting with your boss, a direct report, or somebody that resonates with you or someone that has a role in the company that you aspire to have one day, figuring out a way to identify a personal coach, someone that's gonna lean in and mentor you, it is so critically important. And as I mentioned earlier, my first two bosses um, were great, great additions 
to my career experience. And unfortunately, one one passed away a few years ago, but the other one, uh, he and I still speak every Thursday at 11 o'clock East Coast time for 30 minutes. Uh, and we talk about my business. We talk about my challenges. We talk about um, success. Uh, we talk about being better. Uh, and there's no more important 30 minutes in my week than, than that conversation. Um, and then the last thing that I ask everyone to focus on when they think about how they need to project themselves, what does success look like, or what matters when you work in an organization like Scout or my new endeavor is nothing's more important than your word. And that's because there's very few things that we entirely control in our lives. But one of them is our word. And it really does form the foundation of every business relationship you'll have and establishes trust, which is the cornerstone ingredient for every successful partnership. And when I was in between my University of Pittsburgh days and my global sports days, and I was in New York City and I was running around and I was interviewing for positions, I came across uh, a very dynamic person who asked me this question and I never forgot it. And that was over 30 years ago. He said to me, if I need you to meet me at Montauk Point tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., will you be there? And I, I didn't know how to answer. And finally, I said, I said, yes. And, and it, it always stayed with me because now I know why he asked me that. Because if you say yes and you show up, it says a ton about you, tells you I'm going to be there, tells you that I'm reliable. But if you don't show, it shows me you can't be trusted with important assignments. And I never forgot that. And so I might not be as direct to ask a question like that, but I do a lot of small assignments or small questions where I kind of test the boundaries of trust with people and I give them opportunities to, in essence, give me their word or an action that they're going to do. And I keep doing it until I find a moment where um, that trust is broken. So I know how much I can push somebody and I know what I'm getting in return, which is another story that happened to me uh, maybe for another day uh, in my first job. But I've often done that as a, as these lessons. And I find it to be very helpful to really drive home the point that there's nothing more important in business than our own word. Yeah, I, I think that's a good place to end it for now. But I think that's a very good point. I think that might be even underappreciated about how important that is, particularly through your career development, is doing what you say you're going to do. A lot of people can promise a lot of different things, but fulfilling those promises is much more difficult. And I think it's a good uh, lesson and a good thing for our students and, the, and our listeners of the podcast to think about. So to your point, I know I mentioned this already a couple of times, but it would be great to have you back. You're obviously a very good storyteller and there's a lot more stories that we want to get into. But I do want to thank Michael for, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for a great episode and thank you for sharing your experience with our audience. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me on the podcast. It's truly appreciated. 